Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13, it goes as follows. I will be, be reading from the English Standard Version. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this evening with a confidence, not in ourselves, but in the work of Christ on the cross. We have just sung about this amazing love that you have shown us by dying for us on the cross, that we might know you. And so, Lord, our confidence is that you have drawn us in, you have pulled us in, you have won our hearts, as we have just sung, through the cross. But Lord, you have just not left us on it by ourselves, but you want to speak to us and you want to speak to us tonight. You want to minister to us. You want to draw us in. And so, Lord, we want to become better people at prayer. We want to be a church that loves to pray, a church that's brilliant at praying, who seeks you through prayer, who desires to grow in this love through prayer. And so, Lord, we, we ask that you would help us to do that. We can't do this on our own. We weak. We struggle. But we pray by your Spirit that you would help us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Lord's Prayer. It's uh, certainly a prayer that I'm, I'm pretty sure if we had to do a survey across the room, every single one of us has said it at some point, whether it be in a church service like this or whether it be at a funeral or a Sunday school service or in a school assembly when we were just forced to all say it at the monotone at the same time. It is definitely something that we have all said. And probably most of us, if we had a gun to our head, could recite it. Some of us might die, but the rest, most of us would survive. Um, and you know what? It's quite a privilege for us in South Africa that in our context, we've been taught the Lord's Prayer and been able to talk well. Because it means that we are able to pray it at any point, at any time, in any situation, when needed. We don't have to try to look it up. We can pray the Lord's Prayer, which is one of the most, if not the most, perfect prayer that you can pray. And that suggests, in just saying that it would probably be the most perfect prayer that you can pray, is that there are prayers that aren't perfect. There are moments when we pray and ask for things, request of things that are just of not God's will. We ask with desires and motives that God does not want us to have and we should not have when we pray. But we can be assured and guaranteed that when we pray this prayer, that every word that we say is in the will of God, and God wants to hear it and wants to honor it. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing that we can pray this wonderful prayer. However, there is a danger and a warning that Jesus gives us. He gives this to us in just the previous two verses, where Jesus says that we should not be like the pagans and babble. Do not pray prayers that are meaningless, and the irony is Jesus will go teach a prayer which is probably being prayed with so much lack of meaning, the Lord's Prayer. How often have we prayed the prayer with no meaning? Or we don't even really know what it means. What does hallowed mean? But yet we pray it. Um, it's a bit of a problem and one that we need to deal with, but it's not a, a massive problem. And so over the next couple of weeks, we are going to sort that out and we are going to unpack line by line the richness and the beauty and the majesty of this wonderful prayer that God has given us, that Jesus has given us to pray. So how do we pray this prayer? How do we do that? Well, firstly, there's definitely a corporate element to it, isn't there? 
And the very first word of the prayer is our. And so there's this definite element to it that we should, as a church, as Bible studies, as believers, when we gather together, there must be moments at times where we pray this prayer together. Definitely. Otherwise, we can't say our. And when we do that, when we come together and we pray a prayer like this, there's something that is special and sweet that takes place. There's a unifying of those who pray together like nothing else. Regardless of our differences, when we pray this prayer, we are unified. As I, I look across this room, we have a variety of different generations that are seated here. We have a variety of different races. We have a variety of different people as a result whose home language is different. We have a variety of different people whose economic status is different. So while the world might be able to put us into categories and define us differently, when we gather together as the sons and daughters of the living God and say, Our Father... We find something that unites us. We come together with this cause or this, this thing that is far greater than the differences that we have. And that is that we have a God in heaven who is our father. And he loves each and every single one of us, regardless of our differences, with a fullness of love. He does not love you more than he loves me or, or this side more than he loves that side. He loves us with a fullness of love and it is not given to you by merit but rather because of who Christ is and who you are in him. It's this unifying, humbling thing that when we get together, we come together around this thing of God. It's beautiful, it's sweet. We as a country don't need courses, we don't need programs, we need prayer. We need to pray. That's where unity takes place best. But not only do we need to do it together, but we can also do it as individuals. Now, how does that look? Do we recite it like we would at school or in a church service? Possibly, and that might be something you want to do. Now, and again, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher, used to say that if he kind of had prayed and he felt like he might have left something out, he would just pray this prayer just to make sure he covered it all. And so you can do that at moments you feel like, oh, man, I, just, I think I've missed things out, just pray it. But at the same time, it's a prayer that can also be prayed that's not by, it's not a prayer that's by verbatim. We don't have to just say it word for word. And how do I know that? Well, when Jesus says this, uh, pray then like this, he's not saying pray then this, pray then like this. He gives us a model of prayer. He gives us a structure in which we can follow one that we can use and apply to our lives. It's like a skeleton that is uh, just bones, and all we do is we start to add in flesh and close it, if you will. We add it to our personal lives, add it to our personal needs, add in our, our personal relationships, our personal situation, and apply it to ourselves, and it becomes this wonderful, beautiful prayer that um, we can pray. But it's also a prayer that is not the only type of prayer that we can pray. Uh, it's not the only prayer that we should pray as believers, and we see this throughout Scripture. Uh, scripture is uh, full of different types of prayer. The, uh, Jesus himself prays a different type of prayer. We see that in the Gospels. We see in Acts that uh, the prayers recorded are different in content and different in structure. So this is not where we are forced to pray. But having said it again, we can be guaranteed when we pray this prayer that we are praying in the will of God. And so it's a desirable thing and something 
that we should pursue and become good at. But also, this prayer doesn't always lend itself to every circumstance. Not every situation lends itself to this prayer. And maybe let me give you an example. Uh, December holidays are coming up soon. We all decide at the, at the 6th what we're going to do is we're going to go down on a Saturday afternoon and we are going to go to the beach and just enjoy ourselves. And so we all go out there, and you decide what you're going to do. is You're going to go for a swim. Everyone else is playing volleyball and having a picnic. And as you go into the water, you dive under the wave. It's crystal clear. You open your eyes, and you see a great white shark. In this moment, you do not just have to say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can just help will suffice. Lord, help me. That will be good enough. Not every situation means that we have to pray this prayer. It certainly doesn't lend itself to that. So maybe let's look at our first line that we're going to unpack this evening. The first one is our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Jesus starts off with not just a greeting towards God, but a proclamation of who he is. Jesus is wanting us to, as we pray this prayer, to stir up reminders, to meditate, to proclaim the wonderful truths of who this God is. I want you to notice that it's not a petition. It's not a request for something. We have the tendency to run to God saying, Lord, I need before we stop and proclaim who he is. And Jesus says, no, we need to start by just reminding ourselves and proclaiming in praise who this wonderful God is. It would be wise for us to start there rather than run into petition. And the reason for that is the moment we start to proclaim who God is, the priorities of our prayer, that list starts to change drastically. Things that were most important to us start to fall down the list. Things that weren't so important get bumped up the list. Because what we realize is that God is incredible and we aren't so much. And there is a pushing down and a rearranging of priorities. So when we look at this prayer, this Lord's Prayer, there are six petitions, six requests. The first three have very little to do with us, but more about God's name, his glory, and his will, his kingdom. Those are the things that it's all about. Man, there is petitions about us. God cares deeply about our needs, and we see that in the next three. Give us our daily bread. God cares about them. But when we stop and imagine and proclaim and remind ourselves and meditate on the wonders of who God is, our needs become a whole lot less than God's. And we push it up. Now, Jesus is not only telling us to pray this in our Father in heaven so that we might have the right priorities. While that is important, Jesus also understands the human heart. Jesus knows that when we stop and we proclaim the wonders of God, our hearts are ministered to. That when we take our eyes off our needs, our goals, our problems, our situations, and we fix them on God, there is a ministering that happens. Because as we focus on our needs and we focus on our problems, there is fear, there's anxiety, there's worry. We see an impossible situation. But as we move them up and fix them on God, what we see is the God who's able to do the impossible. It's, it's a ministering that takes place. That, man, I am coming towards a God who can and who is able, who is victorious. That's why this evening, man, the songs that we sang were just proclamations of the wonders of our God. 
And, and you might, some of you might have come in, in in storms of life, feeling difficult, uh, feeling weary and tired in difficult situations, but between a rock and a hard place, not knowing what to do, but yet you've come, and as you have not even heard the word preached, but you just stand and proclaim with meaning and truth the wonders that were on that screen about who God is, your heart is ministered to you. The fear that you had seems to reside a bit, and it is filled with a calmness. The anxiety that you had now has a peace because you've lifted your eyes off your problems and you fixed it on the one who's able to deal with the problems. Deal with the one who, has, who holds you in your hand, his hands. It's this wonderful thing that it benefits us greatly. But not only that, it can also be an incredible thing if you just don't want to pray. And we've all been there before, right? Where you just don't want to. This start of this prayer of proclaiming the wonders of God as a ministry in your heart that gets you excited about praying. About two weeks ago, I, there was a call to a prayer, and, and I just thought, <sighs> don't really want it. I'm just being honest. Didn't want to. Didn't feel like it's okay. Now we must all pray out loud. And I didn't feel like, and, but, but being studying this, this prayer, I thought, okay, Lord, this is where I'm going to start. And as I started to just speak truth about how God loved me and he died for me and he's perfect and he's great so that I might enjoy it. As those moments happened, as I started to speak truth to myself and to him and praise him, man, there was a great excitement to carry on praying. Do you lack desire to pray? This is why we need to start here. It gets you pumped. It gets you excited because we have this great, awesome God who we can know, who died for us. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. But Jesus' words here are also important. There are many different names for God throughout Scripture, many. But Jesus chooses these two. He chooses two aspects, that he's our Father and that he's in heaven. Now, these two aspects are very different. They are opposite ends of the scale, if you will. One, our Father talks about his intimacy, his love, his protection, his provision, this closeness, this bond, this relationship. In heaven, talks about his authority, his sovereignty, his power, his might, his greatness. And, and Jesus, when we start off by praying, he says, man, I want you to have a balanced view on who God is. Proclaim both. Because what happens is you and I have a tendency to harp on one and forget the other. Some of us lean this way and the other of us lean that way. If we were to do a survey, we would find that it is different in this room. We, some of us might like the fact that God is a loving father, but don't like the fact that he is sovereign and the king of kings and the lord of lords and, and is in charge. That's less cool. And what happens is when we harp on one and we forget the other, it, it bends our relationship and makes it wrong. So if we, we harp on the love of God and not on his sovereignty, what takes place is that we are a people that come before God and demand things like spoiled little brats. Lord, you will give. This is what I have. We come in willy-nilly into his presence, not really knowing that actually we come in into the throne room of the King of Kings. We can be a people that take lightly his commands because you know what? He's, he's the dad that loves us all the time and, and he's told us to do stuff, but actually what he really wants is me to be happy, so I'm going to do this. We become like my 17-year-old son who does things that he wants to, a 17-year-old, and I mean by 17-year-old, I mean my wife reminded me, 17 months old. Um, <laughs> 17 months old. We, we come and request and we demand. He grew up very quickly. <laughs> Happens like this, you must enjoy your moments with him. 
he, um, he comes in and he just does what he wants. Milk, want it. And he will say it repeatedly as you walk to the fridge, getting the milk, pouring it until you give it to him. We become immature in our faith and our, our faith towards our, our relationship with him never really grows. The opposite can be true as well, though, is that sometimes we harp on his sovereignty and his greatness and his might, and, and, it, and we downplay his love and his intimacy. And so what happens is when we look at God, he is this hard man. He, he rules with a heavy hand, and he gives these commands, and you ought to do it, others I'm going to smite you. Come here, let me discipline you, because you didn't do what I asked you to do. And your relationship with him is, is, is never this intimate place to be because you forget about the love of the Father. And so Jesus wants them to make sure that we have this balanced view when coming towards God, that we don't harp on the one, but we, we bring both wonderful truths, that he loves us intimately, but man, he is king and he rules. And when you have those two together, it is this beautiful place to be. Wonderful, wonderful thing. So look, let's, let's unpack those two things. Let's look at our Father first, and then we will unpack in heaven a little later. First is that it starts off with our Father. And what that means is that there are some people that just can't pray this prayer. Our Father is for the believer only. You cannot call God your Father if you do not know Christ. It is not anything... That those of us who can call God our Father, we haven't earned it, but we have come through Jesus, and as a result, we are able to call him our, our Father in heaven. And my friend, I, I want to say to you, if you know for sure that you aren't a Christian and, and you aren't able to call God your Father, but it's available to you, in Christ you can come and you can receive it. Jesus has died for you. He has died for your sins. And the option for you is to have your sins removed so that you might have an intimate relationship with God the Father as well. And you don't have to stand on your head and sing Dixie, as my grandfather would say. I just realized how I aged myself as I was saying that. You, you don't have to do any rituals or do a sing and a dance. You don't have to do anything special. All you have to do is come to him and believe in him and repent of your sins, and you will be saved, and you can call him your father. But having even said that, those of us who are um, Christians, sometimes we struggle calling God our father. And that, for a, a lot of those of you who had to dig deeper in, in you as you battle to relate to God as a father in heaven, if you had to dig a little deeper, it's probably because you had a, an awful earthly father. He was uh, non-existent or wasn't great. And as a result, you have taken your view of your, your earthly father and you've mirrored it and placed it onto your heavenly father and you battle to relate. So let me give you an example. If your earthly dad was someone who was never, ever satisfied with your performance, you're probably going to put that on God. If, he, if your earthly dad was, if you got 95% in a, in a maths test and you came home and said, look at my maths test, yeah, and he was the one that asked you what happened to the other 5%. If he was the kind of dad that you ran a race and you came second and he asked you why you didn't come first, so the next time you come first and he said, why didn't you run, why did you run slower than you ran the last time? And you were never, ever satisfied with what you did. You probably have the same view of God and you approach him 
And you probably think he's never appreciated what you've done. He's never satisfied with the hard work you put in. He's never, ever looking upon you and going, well done. It can affect our relationship with our, our, our um, heavenly father, how bad our earthly fathers were. So would you mind, I'm gonna, would you entertain me tonight a little bit? And I say entertain me, would you just entertain my idea? Would you all just close your eyes? We don't normally do this. Would you just uh, close your eyes? And as you do that, would you um, picture the father? Would you picture his face? What's his posture towards you? Is it happy? Is it, is it, is it disappointed? Is it one of acceptance? Is it annoyed? Frustrated? Wondering why you're there? Maybe you can't even picture a face at all. Would you, um, would you open your eyes? Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to do that. Um, my friends, if, you, if you've, your picture, your natural tendency was God is a bit cross. He's a bit, he's not smiley. He's a bit like, why are you here? Disappointed, annoyed, angry, indifferent to your being in his presence. You probably have a wrong view of the Father. Your, that might be the view your, your earthly father has, but I want to tell you it is far different with the heavenly father. He loves you far greater than your earthly father ever has. And I know this might not help, but he is a perfect father and your earthly father isn't. Even if you had a great dad, the one in heaven is far greater than the one you have. But I, I know just saying that he's perfect isn't helpful. So how can we make that a little bit more helpful for us? Well, what we can do is we can look to Christ, look to Jesus. Most of us are easily able to relate with Jesus. He's the nice guy. He heals everyone. He heals the lepers. He accepts the outcasts. He goes to the lonely. He's the guy that goes to the marginalized. He's just awesome. He's the one who died for you. And it's easy to understand. Maybe I can have a relationship with him. If you're able to take the characteristics of Christ and apply it to your heavenly father, you would do well. Because we, we see that we can do this um, in, in, in John. John 14 verse 9 says, anyone who is, this is Jesus talking, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. And so you can picture the characteristics of Christ and you can apply it to the father. As you look at Jesus' generosity to all those who were struggling, you know that that is the generosity that the Father has towards you. That when Jesus had compassion and his gut hurt as he saw people hurting and he didn't want that to happen, as he, we see in Luke uh, 7, uh, 7 verse 13, um, man, that same compassion he has for you, the Father has. As Jesus is able to sympathize, thighs with our weakness so the father does as Jesus never outcast us but died for our sin because he loved us greatly so is the attitude of the father towards you now it's going to take time and effort to apply that but it's important that we do and like and unlike many of our earthly fathers our heavenly father is always present always present Psalm 46 verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 139 verses 7 and 10 says, where can I go from your spirits? 
Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your hand will hold me fast. The very best parents in the world cannot achieve this. They cannot be in two places at once. But the guarantee of our Father in heaven is that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is always there. He is more real and more close to you than the hands and the feet that you have, more close to you than the air that you breathe. He is there. He is always present, always available, always listening, always there. This is the wonder of our Father in heaven. And when we proclaim these words in prayer, we are talking to this wonderful God. We acknowledge that he loves us with an intimate love that is like no other. It's awesome. But Jesus doesn't leave it with our Father. He also talks about in heaven. And Jesus talks about in heaven not to downplay the intimacy of our Father. He's not trying to downplay the intimacy there, but rather he wants us to understand and remind ourselves that our Father in heaven is also the King of kings. He wants us to be a little humble and not come in arrogant as we are ushered into his presence that we do not come because of our righteousness and our good, but rather because of who we are in Christ. And what it does is it stops us from coming to him with an over-familiarity. It stops us from coming to him in, in a place that I deserve it, but rather that he is great, and in comparison to him, I am not. And when we do this, and when we get this right, when we are able to get the our Father part right with the in heaven part, we are able to come to him with both an intimacy, but yet an awe. It's this wonderful place that we have to get to. So when Jesus talks about being in heaven here, he's not necessarily talking about location, a geographical location, like this is where he's at. But rather, when Jesus talks about being in heaven, he's talking about the characteristics of God. Because God, yes, he is in heaven, but he is also here. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. So when he talks about in heaven, he's talking about characteristics. Things uh, uh, possibly that we can pray in general are things like his unlimited ability. So when we proclaim that he's in heaven, we can also talk, Lord, you have an unlimited ability. Unlimited ability, like Job said in Job 42, verse 2. He says, I know that you can do all things. No, no plan of yours can be thoughted. He also has a, a, a God has an unlimited authority as explained in Isaiah 46, verse 10. I make no in the end from the beginning. This is God speaking. From the ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do what I please. It talks about his greatness. And so when we come to this point, we can just pray in general the, the might and the majesty of God. We can talk about those types of things, and that will be what this prayer wants us to do. But at the same time, there are some maybe more specific characteristics that we can glean from this phrase in heaven. The first one might be, and the one I want to emphasize, emphasize tonight, is that God is independent. Church, I want you to know that God is independent. He does not need you and me. God does not 
bow down to our commands and our demands. God doesn't jump to the click of our finger when we request what we want. In actual fact, Scripture says it should be the other way around. When God speaks, we should listen. When, when God uh, says something, we should be ready to fulfill what he wants to fulfill. We see this in a psalm, in Psalm 123, verses 2. It says, the eyes of the slave look to the hand of their master, and the eyes of the maid looks to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God until he shows us mercy. What he's saying here is like a, a person that is a slave would look to their master, and his hand would give them food. So, man, we look to God, and we look to him for our our, our our provision. We have a dependency on him. But it also could be as well, like a, a master clicks his finger or waves his hand so uh, to tell his servants what to do. So we are to look to God and, and wait for his command and to, so he might tell us what to do. Now, this again is not to try downplay the intimacy that God has for us, but what it is to remind us is that though God does not need us, it makes even more the gospel and the cross even greater. Think about it. God did not have to die for you because he needs you. He is not any less without you. He is not lonely. He is not in heaven one day twiddling his thumbs going, I am bored, what should I do? Oh, let's make this. This will entertain me for a few couple of million, billion, trillion years. It's, it's not a, a thing that God needed us. But yet he made us, and when he made us, we rebelled against him, and he didn't go, oh, I really need them, so I should save them. But rather, out of his infinite, boundless love, he would look upon us and die for us. Not because he, he needs us, but because he's gracious and merciful. It makes the cross even greater. It makes it so much greater. Friends, I think this is... Understanding that God is independent from us is one of the things that is missing in the Christian church today. Man, I, I want you to know we do not control God. He's not a genie that we get to, to rub and demand our three wishes or, or a, a, a puppet that we are the puppet master and make him jump. He is not in any way um, dependent on how much faith you might have or might not have. His arm is not shortened to do and act in your favor if you lack faith. But at the same time, he is not manipulated by your potential amount of faith that you have. He is sovereign and he is king. He does what he wants. But he has the beauty of it is that we do not manipulate this God to tell him what we want and he gives it, but rather out of love for us, he listens and he cares and he responds to us in our need because he loves us. Not because we control him. Oh, wonderful. This is the wonder of having a God who is independent. And what it, what it shows us is that he does not need creation, but man, we need him. We are dependent on him. And so as we pray, we do not come with an arrogance, Lord, you will do. But rather we pray, Lord, I need, I need you. I need you to act. The second one, and I'll end off with this one, is that God is incomprehensible. In heaven talks about the incomprehensibility of God. He is an infinite being. He is a being that is 
never-ending. There is no point that we will ever come to know the fullness of who this God is. The depth of him we will search for all eternity and enjoy as we grow to love him and know him. But what that means for us is that we can never come to a place that we can say confidently, I know what God, who God is fully. We can never say, I know what God would want in this situation. We can never tell God what we think is best and he ought to do it. And so what this looks like is that we cannot come to him and say, Lord, this is how my life should pan out. I have thought about it. I have given it some thought. I've spent hours thinking about it. So you should listen carefully. This is the man or woman I should marry. This is the job that I want and the income and the place that I ought to live and how many kids I should have. This is the picture and this is how I should have it. It does not work that way. Because his ways are higher than our ways. We see this in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. It says, God speaking here, my thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so, man, that doesn't mean we don't come to God with our dreams and desires, but instead of demanding this is how it should go, we say, Lord, this is what I want, but I know that you are far greater than I. Your ways I cannot comprehend. And so I will lay these at your feet, knowing that what you do is good for me because you're my Father in heaven who loves me with the fullness of love. And so when you act in your sovereignty and in your control, I know you do what's best for me, even if I cannot see it now. It's this wonderful place that we are able to come and lay it at his feet, knowing that the all-wise, all-knowing God acts as he wills, not what we want. Man, the amounts of girls I would have married as a teenager. Oh, Lord, thank you. The places I would have been would have been far worse if I got what I wanted. And so we do what Psalm, probably in Proverbs 3, verse 6 to 8 says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Be wise, uh, be, uh, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshments to your bones. You see, when we understand all that is encapsulated in this, this phrase, in heaven, it stops us from becoming overly familiar with God. Over, being over-familiar in a relationship is when you've stepped too far. You've crossed the line. The friendship has gone a little further than it should, particularly with God. It, it goes from respect and awesome reverence into impertinence, into a cheekiness or a disrespect. And this is what happens when you start to call Jesus your homeboy, your bro, or your china. It, it becomes a place where you start to think that you hear better than everybody else does. You can't believe that no one hears God like you hear him. And when you hear him, you hear him right. You never make a mistake. And so when you say the Lord says, it's pretty much thus saith the Lord, and there is no understanding that you are infallible and you hear wrong at times as well. And it's a dangerous place to be because what happens is when we become too familiar with God and he does speak to us, and he does, is that we say what he has said, but we also think we should ad-lib and we just assume he would have said this as well. 
And so we can come to a place where we start telling people things that aren't right. God has not said, and that's a dangerous place to be. But it's also a scary place to be because when God sees this happen, what he does so often is he hides his face from us. Now, what that that is not, it is not removing his presence. He is always there. He has promised to be there. But he just makes those moments of those awesome moments that you have now made a prideful thing. He takes them away. And we often find ourselves in dry places. And he graciously puts us there so that we might come to a place and realize it was never us, but by his grace. And we cry out to him again rightly. And what this prayer does, saying in heaven, it stops us from getting to this point. Because if you are constantly saying, Lord, your ways are higher than mine. You are greater. Your will be done. You do things. You are sovereign. You the king of kings. I lay my life down at your feet because you deserve it all. It stops us from getting there. But if you've found yourself in that place, this is the place to start as well. It's the place where God wants us to be that we lay it and say, Lord, it is you and not me. You move and not me. And it will start to revive you again. And he will show his face to you. And hopefully this time with a little bit more maturity. And I've been there before. A little bit more maturity and a little bit more grace towards others. And you will grow. But friends, as we come around the communion table and we're going to end now. None of this is available other than through Christ. We have this loving Father in heaven who's also the King of Kings. And it's because of Jesus. It's because he died for you. It's because he loves you. It's because he wants to have a relationship with you. And so as we talk about prayer over the next seven or eight weeks, we do so because God has taught us this because he wants us to be drawn in. He wants to know you more intimately. He wants to become, you to become better at that, but because he has made it available to you through the cross. So as we partake of these elements, and what's going to happen is you're going to come forward and grab, and then you're going to go back um, to your seats, and you're just going to hold on for a moment. In those moments where you just sit in, would you just reflect on how awesome God is? Spend moments proclaiming that, ministering to your soul, if you will but also just remind that it's all available to you because of what Christ has done. Cool, let's come forward.